tonight on Unsolved Mysteries. Rudolph Hess, Confused in Montana, and Arlington Murder. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert. And this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Um, Robbie, I uh, noticed that we start this episode with a recycled intro from Robert Stack from, I believe, the very first episode. Uh, I think you might be mistaken that it was the very first. Was it? No, it was wait. The second Maybe one? It... You know, I, I guess I should have prepared for this conversation. You, did I you not yeah. study up for the quiz of stack intros that I prepared for tonight? Uh, well, I figured I'd be sitting next to, like, one of the smart kids and I could just copy off their uh, answers. Well, at any, at any rate... It's clearly of a different quality than the rest of the show, but I, I got kind of miffed because it was him saying it's a vortex of mystery and heartbreak <laughs> and intrigue. And, <laughs> and actually, nothing in this episode really is that. So um, remember, <laughs> when, remember when our plan was that like our episodes would be named after. Uh, after whatever opening line Robert Stack used yeah. in each episode. Yeah. It's a good thing we didn't go that route. It's a good thing we did not stick with that, and I just started making them up Yeah, <laughs> on the fly. I, I, um, <laughs> so if uh, moving into our first segment, uh, let me ask you a question. If um, you heard about a 93-year-old uh, Nuremberg trial convicted Nazi dying in prison. Uh, how much would you say you cared about how he died? Oh, well, obviously, of course, the instant answer is, who cares? He's a blanky Nazi, right? He's a 93-year-old Nazi, and he's been in prison for 40 years. But would you say you care how he died? Not too much. Mm. Not too much at all. I, I mean, I guess I might be just intellectually curious. Yeah. But Would you want he... to spend the first 30 minutes of an Unsolved Mysteries episode getting into the bottom of how a 93-year-old convicted Nazi died? <laughs> almost the almost the entirety of an Unsolved Mysteries episode. Would you, would you want that <laughs> as a viewer? Uh, see... As a viewer, uh, no, because that would be cutting into precious UFO and ghost time. Yeah, well... Neither of which are present in this episode. No, buckle up, because as you might have guessed, listeners, uh, it's parts one and two of Rudolf Hess, uh, uh, the perhaps mistaken identity, perhaps uh, traitor, perhaps uh, murdered 93-year-old Nazi. According to some strange British doctor with a crazy haircut, maybe. Surgeon and author. <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice that. Did he? Have, they listed author as one of his 
Yes, which I believe is the whole crux of this entire uh, segment. Yeah, They've think... been duped again. Every yeah, everything in this segment suddenly makes a lot more sense. So I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it simple as to who Rudolf Hess uh, was. Apparently, he was um, during World War II. He was uh, Hitler's number two guy. Um, so in 1941, Rudolf Hess was was tasked with flying to Britain from Germany. It was a quote-unquote secret peace mission, but if we're hearing about it, it probably wasn't that secret. Um, he then was found allegedly in a wrecked uh, plane wreck in Scotland. Um, the whole story goes that he was going to, he was sent from Germany to meet with higher-ups in the British government and other allies to declare a peace agreement between Germany and the allies. Um <clears throat> he instead crashed uh, his plane on a farm in Scotland, was basically, uh, the farmer noticed, he was brought in by pitchfork to the British <laughs> officials because he was dressed in a uh, Luftwaffe uniform, um, and of course the Scotsman doing his patriotic duty brought him in. Um, but immediately in the segment, it's being suggested that because Hitler and Himmler and other higher-ups in the Nazi government had used body doubles, that perhaps this was not Hess, but a, a double sent in his place because um, the the mid-level management of the British government probably wouldn't have had already met Hess in person so they could pass. I, I assume this is what's being in... in implied by the segment is that they could pass off a double as Hess. Um, yeah. So, um, the war ends, uh, I assume Hess, even though they don't say between 1941 and 1947 was in British custody. Mm -hmm. Um, during 1947, during Nuremberg trials, he was sentenced to a life sentence in Spandau prison back in Germany. Um, that was Spandau prison was, um, staffed by allied soldiers so there were there were british soldiers there there were american soldiers there i'm not sure who else was in charge of spandau prison uh so during the segment this is our historical backdrop that we get uh flashback to stack uh who's in a room surrounded by swastikas and other <laughs> problematic <laughs> problematic uh scenery <laughs> Were, were you ever anticipating seeing this when we started this program, Crystal? I wasn't, and I actually did a double take. And, um, you know, I know this might be a controversial opinion in 2018, but the way I was raised, uh, both by my family and in school, is that Nazis are bad. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Right there with you. And uh, so to see Stack like sort of just completely surrounded by paraphernalia was <laughs> it was really jarring. And and I was forced to reckon with that somewhere in Los Angeles sits a room. <laughs> Probably for like television and filming purposes, I wanna think it's not somebody's private collection, but anyway, um is a is a room just full of Nazi shit. So. It's like official state China of the third Reich. It's a whole subculture of people who collect this Nazi shit. Yeah, uh, and a, a lot of swastikas on so display many. everywhere. 
It was like a... Uh, Big flags, little flags. I, I'm sure just swastika imprints and all sorts of uh, non-flag objects. Uh. Yeah. Um, it kind of looked to me as if some production assistant had run down to the dollar store for party supplies. But all the party supplies had swastikas on them. <laughs> It, it was, they were like too brightly colored or something. It wasn't. It didn't look authentic to me. Mm. Um, yeah. But anyway, I'm I'm getting off off track. So um, back to 1947. Uh, Rudolf Hess is thrown into Spandau. Um, he's in there with a, a lot of other um, folks until I think. It, what did they say? And sometime in the 1960s, he it gets whittled down to Hess is the only person left in Spandau prison. For whatever yep. reason, they can't transfer him somewhere. I would assume it's because, because uh, you know, one of the allied countries probably doesn't want the burden of uh, throwing him. Yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, as Unsolved Mysteries is quick to point out, housing this prisoner was costing the allied forces uh, one million dollars a year. Uh, so there's that. But anyway. Um, when Hess is brought in to the prison, there's a surgeon that examines Hess who says he's quote-unquote very familiar with Hess's medical records as such that Hess had been shot through the chest into his lung in World War One. Therefore, he would have had a scar. And when the surgeon examined this person named Hess, um, there was no scar. There's some other details that Unsolved Mysteries brings up at this point, even though it's not a sequence, that when... Hess's plane had left Germany in 1941. It had one serial number on it when it crashed in Scotland and had a totally different serial number on it. Um, there were things when Hess was brought in to talk to the British officials eventually. I think he eventually ended up meeting Churchill. Is that? No, no. Um, uh, like, like, he didn't make it. He, he, his proposal didn't even make it up. that far i mean like basically right from the start they 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 listen to um uh uh-huh uh-huh yep and then begin contemplating where they're going to store this guy for the remainder of the war right um so churchill was seemingly a bit dubious that this was in fact they had that germany would have sent somebody so high up to do these negotiations. Um, I guess there were other things like Rudolf, this guy who was claiming to be Rudolf Hess, um, couldn't get his own birthday right, things like that. But I, the way that they're telling us, it's it's all really secondhand. Um, right. And most of it's coming from, most of this account of inconsistencies is coming from this surgeon slash author, Hugh Thomas. Author who almost <laughs> certainly has a book. Right. This. I mean, I uh, like that Unsolved Mysteries isn't letting people come on and blatantly plug their book anymore like they did with the, <laughs> the missing time guy in season one. But um, I, uh, well, I'll get into that at the end. So uh, yada, yada, yada. Hess is in prison. Um, he claimed he met with some German secretaries that brought him pictures of his wife and kid and he didn't seem to show any recognition um the reenactor that they get to play hess in prison uh had eyebrows that would put eugene levy to shame oh man that's a bold statement but uh true i i've seen these eyebrows of this man 
It looked uh, like they took Bert or Ernie's felt eyebrows and just pasted <laughs> them on this guy's face. I've never seen they, eyebrows like this. They are very prominent. And, you know, obviously the real Rudolph Hess had very prominent eyebrows. Mm-hmm. But I think that just to make sure the audience wouldn't be confused as to which guy's playing Hess, they mm-hmm. just decided, you know, they would exaggerate that feature as much as humanly possible. I think they might have overdone it a bit. <laughs> to the point where he now looks more like a caricature drawn of Hess by mm-hmm. someone in the park than the actual Hess. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's some somewhere in all this part one and part two and all the storytelling we also get a hitler reenactor <laughs> and a himmler reenactor we get we get all the the whole the whole all-star cast of nazi reenactors they're having some kind of meeting i guess it was the secret meeting to send because this was part see, you see robbie there was a whole conspiracy <laughs> according okay. to hugh thomas there was a whole conspiracy <laughs> where or Himmler yeah. and Goering yes. have a Hess double. Mm-hmm. And the Hess double was sent to to sign a peace accord um, with Britain and the Allies so that they would let their guard down so Germany could finally, you know, strike their killing blow. Um, well, well, actually, uh, the, 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 the main purpose... Sorry, I, I don't want to turn our podcast into a world war ii podcast um uh, so i'll keep this brief well we educate you know we educate and entertain that's what we're here to do yeah because well the thing is it always been my understanding that hess kind of to a degree he went off on this mission kind of alone Mm -hmm. like this was not something that hitler had knowledge of or authorized um it was just hess was uh, well and, and in this meeting they depict they show where hess um, the reason he, he he's pressing for a, a, a peace with Britain is, uh, and he makes that airplane trip about six weeks before Germany launches Operation Barbara, Barbarossa and mm-hmm. invades the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And so Hess is, yeah, in in the meeting, I think he's it's it's pretty clear he's advocating that they shouldn't be trying to fight a war on two fronts, and they should make peace with Britain before they've. Uh, tangle with Russia, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, in in this in this meeting they have depicted um, the the yeah the conspiracy theory is that Himmler and well Himmler particularly is sort of I don't want to say jealous of Hess, but mm-hmm. he it, he considers Hess a rival because Himmler <laughs> wants to be the number two guy in Nazi Germany. But Hess was someone who was right there with Hitler right from the start. So he obviously has a rapport with Hitler that the other top Nazis don't. And mm. so, yeah, according to this, this, this conspiracy theory, Himmler and Goering have Hess killed, replaced by a... Uh, a bodyguard who they send on this this loony mission to Britain with with the expectation that if it's successful Himmler will sweep in at the you know very end and claim credit for it um, it's an interesting notion uh, and I'm wondering how many copies of this book were sold <laughs> <laughs> well 
But did they get into all of that in the segment? Because I I think the reenactment at the Nazi war table was just uh, preparing Hess to go do to infiltrate. Really? Because my 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 take from that uh, meeting was that. Um, you know, so someone at the t- someone in the meeting, Himmler, is pushing for you know he he's I mean he's 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 all on board with uh, let's invade the Soviet Union now, and Hess is like no we should uh, wait until we have a peace with Britain before invading the Soviet Union, and I, I seem to remember he his his body movements were sufficiently exaggerated enough that you knew he felt very strongly uh, on mm. this. Mm, I, I I missed out on all the nuance of what was clearly a great reenactment. Oh, so, so sorry. I, I, <laughs> well, maybe you were distracted by the facial hairs of all the I, various. Do you think that Himmler was also jealous of Hess because of he didn't have his prominent and strong brow? Well, not only that, but you know the historical himmler has that very thin mustache going mm. across the upper lip mm. this reenactor himmler does not appear to have that which to to me was a glaring oversight mm. well um, i mean i don't really think when i think of nazi mustaches i guess i don't really think of himmler's to begin well, with well obviously yeah there, there, there there's one that really comes to mind <laughs> uh speaking of which did, mm. was it just me or did this hitler seem a little Ponchy, a little chubby. I mean, it's not the the best uh, actor playing Hitler I've ever seen. Yeah, I I mean, I, granted, yeah, I don't expect them to go out and get a top tier Hollywood actor, mm-hmm. but you gotta wonder that, that they could have at least afforded, um, you know, the the guy who played played Admiral Ozzo in Empire Strikes Back. Uh, who gets choked to death for jumping too, in too close to the system or whatever. Mm-hmm. That guy's played Hitler in five different films. He's a premium it, Hitler. Yeah, yeah, it, including uh, he was Hitler in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And he played Himmler in three different films. Man, and he played... A, a, a body double for Herm- Herman Goering in another movie. Uh, so it seems God. to me that Unsolved Mystery should have just, you know, skimmed a look in a couple of other segments and brought this guy in. But that's just my opinion. Can you imagine I, I if guess, that was your IMDb, if that was your legacy? Hitler. <laughs> Lots of Nazis. Hitler, Hitler, Himmler, Hitler, Hitler, Himmler. Hitler, Hitler, uh, Hermann Göring's body double. Um, so, so moving on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this guy Hess, as we're calling him, uh, he didn't want to see his family, even though they were still in Germany. Um, so he's he his by the 1960s his health is failing. Um, and finally, in 1969, he agrees to meet with his his wife and his son, and he hasn't seen either of them now in 28 years. Um, but they seem to recognize him, and he recognized them, so that checks out. Although it had been 28 years, so I don't know. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I I don't know. I mean, it's like 
if you're married to someone for however long they were married, yeah, I, I would think that you would recognize them after even 20 years, right? I, th- I think so, probably if only by their voice. I mean, that to me, that's how I recognize most people is by their voice. So, um, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, so another 20 years goes by. It's now 1987, 93-year-old Hess, who is still, who is now for uh, 30, 27 years. Um <laughs> 21 years has now been the only occupant other than the guards of Spandau prison. And so he's going for his walk in the prison garden. Uh, He is accompanied by a guard. Um, The important detail that I feel like kind of gets brushed over um, is that his family, Tess's family had been informed that Mikhail Gorbachev was um, thinking of allowing for Hess's release very soon. Mm-hmm. So there was, yeah. a, there was at least a rumor that he might be released. Um, I mean, I can definitely see if that was true where Gorbachev was coming from, probably because this is like an expensive fiasco keeping this guy in prison <laughs> all this time and who cares at this point. Uh, yeah. So, so Hess goes out to the garden with a guard. The guard happens to be looking away for a couple of moments. Hess a few minutes later is found dead in a garden shed. Uh, with an electrical cord around his neck. So the big question is, was it suicide or was it murder? Um, the idea being that the, perhaps on the British side, there had been some spies for Hitler that didn't want to be outed, or they would have been outing very powerful people in the British government that had been colluding with uh, the Nazi government. So, I mean, with the purpose of taking on the Soviets, and they didn't want those secrets to get out, even though it had been... Oh, 40 years and probably most of those people weren't in office anymore but whatever um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh all of the guards testified that hess was very frail and there was no way that he could have maneuvered the little knots in the electrical cord to hang himself uh, also the angle at which his body was placed was very unusual for having done that himself uh so hess's family called for an independent autopsy it showed that has to have been strangled. Um, and so uh, the segment ends with Stack asking us, the, you know, we see Hess's grave in Bavaria um, and, and Stack narrating saying that the only man who could answer all these questions was silence uh, before he could speak. Which I thought was weird because he had been in custody for 40 years. <laughs> he yeah. could have spoken at any time. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's, to me, that's ultimately where the this this whole huge conspiracy thing just comes crashing down. Yeah. Why I, doesn't oh, this body God. double, alleged body double, tell someone that he was a body double of Hess? I mean, there's loyalty to country and party and all of that, but I don't think so, uh, one, um, a man... It's going to go and serve somebody else's time. That's no. just not going to happen. That's ridiculous. And if, okay, so eliminating that possibility, if it truly was Hess, he had all of that time and probably was really bored <laughs> to mm-hmm. let it slip to a guard or somebody else that there had been a plan, you know, that there was any sort of conspiracy and he doesn't say anything. And so the very end of the segment um stack says that the the, uh, the all of the papers concerning hess hess and uh the plane crash and this supposed plot uh would be declassified in 2016 so 
I decided to oh, look it up. You, you looked it up. I looked it up. Um, the only thing I could find regarding anything recent was that in 2013, Hugh Thomas, once again, <laughs> 2013. So the last time we saw him was 1989 when the show was filmed. In 2013, he's still on the case. Uh, you know, I respect the perseverance that he hasn't let the mystery go, but he was petitioning Scotland Yard to to look into it again and they didn't and scotland yard is part of the big conspiracy man they were like we don't think there's anything to look into so yeah that's the latest i could find i couldn't find anything about papers being declassified or anything like that so that's (laughs) no update yeah because there's there's no update to be done no also who cares and i cannot believe i just spent the last mm, 25 minutes of my life uh because who gives a shit (laughs) yeah yeah he was a Uh, 93 year old nazi (laughs) and he's dead and he's dead yeah 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 this is just uh well you know for me actually the thing that caught my eye was in the reenactment of the so uh military personnel finding his dead body I didn't mm-hmm. see a cord wrapped around his neck. No, uh-uh. Neck. Uh, I, I know that a couple of times when I've brought up issues like this, you've pointed out to me that there, this is, these are all probably results of some sort of disconnect co- connect going on between the second unit, mm-hmm. whatever unit's filming the, um, the reenactments, and the unit that's writing and filming Robert Stack narrating. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think also, as we pointed out in the case where that woman was run over by her own truck, there's probably some, um, some censorship primetime TV things where they can't show certain things. That's in detail. right. So. This was the this was the late eighties, early nineties. Yes, where... we hadn't quite gotten to Law and Order SVU. Um, the Simpsons were uh, still a very controversial right, program. Right, yeah. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, I yeah. think that might have been a censorship issue. I, I, I think for something so important as that, it wasn't overlooked, but purposefully omitted. Okay. Yeah. Uh, man, this, this... Which do you think was more bullshit? This segment or the Missing Time book plug segment? Oh, this. Yeah, all right. Um, I know that. I know that. Probably in the eighties, as there are now. I mean, you didn't get your History Channel fix of Nazis, uh, twenty four hours a day. God like you do now. damn it, Crystal! I had it in my notes. I was going to like say, as as my hilarious uh, send off for this, that this segment would have been more appropriate for today's. A conspiracy-driven history channel. I'm so, well, <laughs> I guess we're on the same page then, but I'm sure back in 1989, because it was, you know, it was 30 years ago, it was World War II was still more recent history. Um, we certainly had our share of World War II survivors still with us, but there were also, I think, plenty of people who weren't involved with the war that had, like, like real hard-ons for information as it pertains to World War II and specifically Nazis, so... Um, I, all of which is now, you know, the renewed interest in Nazism is not only in the History Channel, I'll just say that. So, um, 
but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm listeners, viewers. I'm, we're not, we're not going to get those 25 minutes back that I spent telling you about this. So, um, and that's not counting all the research you did looking into those documents release. You know, I, I guess that's, that's where we diverged because, you know, unsolved mysteries told us both the same thing. Mm -hmm. You went and checked on that information and investigated and I just sat down and watched some movies about World War II. We have two much more interesting segments that were unfortunately not given the amount of time I thought they should have been in this episode, if, if you want to talk about it. Sure, uh, I would love to talk about it. Especially since our listeners would be very perplexed if we just ended the episode right now. Um, yeah, our the next segment in the episode concerned a woman named Patricia Meehan. Mm -hmm. Is that how? I think so. Yeah. Uh, this is a missing and or amnesia case. Um, basically what we have here is a woman named Peggy Bueller and her parents were driving along in Montana, uh, and they were behind another woman named Carol Heights, who was an off-duty police dispatcher, and this was at night, they end up getting, there's this horrible head-on collision car wreck situation that goes on, both Peggy Bueller and her parents and Carol Heights witnessed that uh, someone in the uh, uh, vehicle involved in the accident, a young wo uh, a woman, uh, blonde, um, you know, comes uh, comes within sight of both of them and looks at them uh, before just wandering off from the scene. Robbie, were you ever able to parse who ran into who and who crashed into what? Because this was confusing and I couldn't figure out who it was that was actually. I was actually crash. being, I was actually being deliberately vague <laughs> in my description it's because just, I it's had a mess. no clue. It's a mess of just cars and and they're all maroon colored and I can't figure out how these other people were involved. And yeah, like I, I I'm really not sure which which. Because they they seem to be we're, we're jumping around from different people and like a car car misses w one car but then hits another but the car up ahead is hit too I I honest it, it, <laughs> I I'm glad that uh, okay. you also had trouble with I, this I watched this episode twice and I couldn't figure it out so yeah um but regardless there was a huge wreck. And the authorities, you know, they can't track down the end of this this woman that was involved in the wreck, um, uh, who I guess is probably the one responsible for it. So their running theory at first was this was someone who was trying to avoid, I guess, getting in trouble for uh, causing all of this. Um, which actually, I just want to take a moment to pause and ask you, mm -hmm. because to me, in the reenactment. I don't know whether it was just the decisions by the actress playing this mystery woman or the direction from the director or whatever, but this woman is like not walking around like someone who has been in an automobile wreck and is maybe disoriented. No. This woman is moving around like the Terminator. I, you this, just read my mind. 
You just really? took the words out of my mouth. I was about to say she was moving like a Terminator. I was, yes. I swear oh to you. My. I swear to you I had the same impression. Wow. Wow. I, 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 sure hope, I sure hope the listeners are as excited about this as I am because I... I <laughs> like, my, I, I, I just am... got goosebumps. <laughs> Me too. I think that um, I think that means that we're we're probably twins separated at birth. But believe me, I've been looking forward to this moment my whole life. It is it, I've been on my island. I'm telling you, this is absolutely incredible. That I think that's what that probably indicates. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Uh, and we didn't even need unsolved mysteries to reunite us. No, we just reunited <laughs> ourselves. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the the, the Terminator yes. uh, makes her way from the wreck, and the police they, they they the authorities start to develop this idea that maybe this is not just someone who is, you know, a hit and run sort of thing. This is someone who might be disoriented, and they search for her, but her tracks disappear. The, their theories are maybe she stole away on a hay truck that was parked about a half mile from the accident, or she could have just hitchhiked out of the area. Um, this woman turns out to be someone, uh, the as I mentioned at the beginning, a woman named Patricia Meehan, who had a family, um, you know, whole life uh, tie, tied up, uh, and... If she didn't have amnesia, she would, for some reason, just be walking away from all that. But based off the witness accounts that people have of her subsequently after this accident, mm. they everyone's pretty sure that she's suffering from some sort of uh, amnesia, pro- probably as a result of the accident, uh, because witnesses, their interaction with her is of someone who is not functioning in the same way a normal human being would Mm -hmm. and this lead you know we have a recount of her being in a diner and just having very strange interactions with the waiting staff like saying she has to be somewhere by nine so you know she needs to be served by then and so the waitress asks her like oh are you going to work at you have to be at work at nine she's like no i just have to go shopping um and I, I don't know about you, but the reenactment of the woman being in the cof- in the diner. Did you notice that like they did some makeup job on her eyes to give her a black sort of mm-hmm. look underneath both eyes? Which uh, maybe that that was implying that she this is because the the premise now is that she's hitchhiking with with trucks and apparently crossing the entire country in the process yeah they said something like there were a hundred witnesses that like had spotted her in various places all over the northwest what what is it with like truck drivers are picking up amnesia people we've seen this before in the show they just Um, got good hearts man I guess so. There are are, uh, good Samaritans out there on the lonely stretches of uh, America's highways. Yeah, they probably are taking better care of the mentally ill than the state of Nevada is. (laughs) I don't know if you you read, like, apparently Nevada has been the subject of several lawsuits from various states and cities. Yeah, because... I I know that Vegas was dumping 
mentally ill with a week's worth of prescriptions in California. You're, that yeah, that's going on for a while. That's basically Nevada's approach to uh, the mentally ill is we will give them like 20 bucks, some some scripts, uh, like a package of food and a bus ticket to anywhere else in the lower 48 states. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in this case, but this this poor woman is, is crisscrossing the country on trucks, pro- possibly you know has no idea who she is. Um, I, I guess in this reenactment, I took the the bruises to mean at some point she had been assaulted by someone. Mm, I uh, I read it as they just made her look really sort of disoriented and tired, like she'd been sleeping rough for a while. Okay, okay. I well, you know, actually, the first thing I thought when I saw that saw her was it reminded me of I don't suppose you've seen the Wes, Wes Craven film Deadly Friend. I have I have not. Okay, um, there's, uh, it's basically uh, about this uh, young man, he becomes friends with this girl that lives next door to him, she ends up getting, I think, killed by her abusive father, or stepfather, and he tries to save her life or by implanting a robot, the, the, the CPU from a robot he built into her brain, mm-hmm. that somehow, somehow this, this resurrects her to life. Um, sure. And so the actress who plays the the friend next door names the name of the actress is uh, Christy Swanson. Um, oh, you mean from, Buffy, the original Buffy? The original Buffy. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I remember Christy. After the chips planted into her brain, and it's you know she's just uh, I guess not a robot, a cyborg. Um, from that point forward in the film. They they just they put the same black makeup underneath both eyes, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and that that's immediately what I thought when I saw saw that bit in the reenactment. Um, yeah, uh, she's. I believe this this confirmed sighting happened in Bozeman, Montana, which was actually apparently just a few miles from her home, mm-hmm. which is like doubly sad because you know she's so close and yet. Uh, doesn't realize it this case remains unsolved yeah we get a little sad white text at the end with a creepy selfie that she took of herself um <laughs> they really fixated on that like, yeah she, like because yeah she had this undeveloped role of film so the police develop it for clues and there's a a, a sort of proto selfie she took and the, the writers of unsolved mysteries i don't know if they necessarily are taking liberties here but they're like, she looks almost as if she's haunted by something, or she has to get away. <laughs> well, <laughs> How do I, you know, she yeah. could have just had like a, a ve- weird look on her face when she pushed the button on the camera. Yeah, I think they're reading a little too much into that, but it, it did give me the idea that maybe what had led to the car accident was maybe she had like a mini stroke. Or she was having some sort of dissociative episode before uh-huh. she got in the oh. accident. Yeah. Because yeah. she walked away from the accident, but yet the head trauma was such to give her amnesia. Good that, point. That doesn't Good make any sense point. to me. So that made me, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to like armchair diagnose this because who knows what happened to her. Yeah. Um, it Or it may have been, I think the more 
plausible thing that happened was she did have some head trauma in the accident and she was confused, walked away, laid down to sleep somewhere and was never found and passed away. Oh, man. Because yeah, she because she had, you know, you're not supposed to like if you have a concussion, you're not supposed to go to sleep. Right. So, you know, she may have been concussed and confused. And then she like was very tired and she didn't know where she was. And so she laid down in some field in the middle of. Um, they said they did air and ground searches for her, but Robbie, like, it's like Nevada up there. <laughs> There's so much space. Yeah. I mean, even if she had crawled into some, like, barn that didn't get used until, like, the summer or something, that she wouldn't have been found. So I, I kind of think that these hundred or the hundred sightings of her are kind of spurious. She was sort of, you know, blonde, all-American girl enough to easily everyone and no one at the same time and there wasn't anything really distinctive about how she looked i thought so that's that's a very those are all very good points i didn't think of <laughs> <laughs> well i you know i i i i find this segment infinitely more interesting than the segment that came before it because you, you know there's a million things that could have happened to her since she was she was never found plus um, this is real yeah this is <laughs> i actually care how this girl might have died I actually care about this one. Um, yeah, who cares how a Nazi dies? How a 93-year-old Nazi dies. His time was coming up, Robbie. Whether he killed himself or was murdered, his clock was running out on him anyway. So right, they 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 had they had to kill him at, at once he turned 93. They it was an imperative for that conspiracy to kill him in the decades before. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, th this was definitely one one of the more fascinating amnesia cases. I I really uh, and I feel like calling it amnesia is a little inaccurate. Oh, right. They really should have called it like missing persons. I right, think. right. Well, I mean, and that's why uh, that's true, and that's why when I when I first introduced this, I, I said I I called it a missing and or amnesia yeah. case because yeah. yeah, this this is um. Yeah, I, I feel sorry for this woman's family. Just you know, there's yeah, no they're clothes. not going to know. Yeah. Well, you know, and she took care of kids and animals. She sounded like a gentle soul. So it's really too bad that Unsolved Mysteries chose to spend the first <laughs> two thirds of the episode talking about a dead Nazi. Anyways, did you did did you like this segment? Because no, I know you didn't. Sad. Like it. <laughs> well, yeah. It was sad. I I, I, I mean, satisfying, and I, I I I don't actually think the segment was particularly well done, honestly. So, well, this 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 segment, um, yeah, there there wasn't too much to the reenacting. We just have that weird mm -hmm. car crash depiction, and then the diner scene is yeah. really it, and then just various scenes of the actress playing Patricia getting in and out of various big rig trucks yeah um yeah though i will say this for this segment it did give me an opportunity to mention two mo movies that feature cyborgs <laughs> you sure you sure did you sure did. yeah i sure did <laughs> <laughs> Did you want to move on to a, another case where, while well, not necessarily, certainly not any less depressing, at least has some closure to it? 
Uh, sure. I actually have things to say about this segment. Oh, so. okay. But go ahead. Set it up. Yeah. Okay. So this segment is a, a straight out seeking a murderer case. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is May 11th, 1988. A young woman by the name of Veronica Tina Jefferson, or rather Tina is her nickname. Uh, her body was found raped and shot to death. Uh, behind McKinley Elementary School in Arlington, Virginia. In the course of uh, investigating this, they you know they found her clothes with blood stains on them. There were no tears or rips in the clothing, so there's conjecture that this was the result of someone that she knew to some degree, and, and was not just a random stranger who seized her just in the middle of the night. They found her red Camaro. was discovered parked at a supermarket two blocks from her apartment. Uh, it was unlocked and the keys were missing. They wiped it for fingerprints. And this is actually something I, I found interesting because I've never heard about this before. Mm. Have you ever heard of a pointable argon laser? I haven't. I, I I never I, I I didn't even realize that was a thing, much less a thing that can be used to uh, find fingerprints. I think probably they they dusted for prints, and then that's what they shoot at the dust to have it glow to see. Oh. The, I don't know how they actually do it. I don't imagine just shooting an argon laser at a car would <laughs> reveal <laughs> fingerprints without doing something else first. But I what do I know? Well, yeah, I, I just brought that up because I know you, you, you love talking about I the do, methodology. I do like the methodology, which is going to be most of my critique of the law enforcement <laughs> okay. in this segment. But please continue. All right. So, you know, Tina was, she was only 24, but she was a government accountant. She had a CPA. She was a finance officer for the CIA. So obviously she was, uh, a you know, someone who really had a lot going for her in life. Yeah. And what we... What we have here is she she was seen that night um, at a giant grocery store. And we know through various pieces that at some point, perhaps it was in the grocery store, she met up with a man who she didn't have any previous knowledge of. Uh Allegedly, you know, according to one set of witnesses, at least, she may have left the grocery store with this man in her car. Um, at some point, a police officer has witnessed her in the car in the passenger seat with the man driving. She gets out of the car, talks with the man. We get, we just have a lot of disparate accounts uh, regarding her and her interactions with this man, or whether there's two men involved. They do a, a full investigation. They're they're trying to get. They're using DNA, which uh, I'm wondering how many people watching this segment at this time really even had heard of at this point. Yeah, wasn't the um, the OJ trial was ninety four? Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're I mean, in, in in the OJ trial, DNA was still something still of a dubious, right? So dubious. so this is four years. So she was murdered in 88, so they're investigating 89, so that's four or five years before the American public has really becomes 
intimated with the DNA testing methods. DNA testing, yeah. Yeah, yeah ba- basically, so basically the, the main, the, the sort of mystery around here is who who was it that she, um, was she with two different men in the same night uh, in the company of two different men? Was this the sa- same man? Because the pe- witnesses at the grocery store seem to perceive one thing where this is a guy who doesn't have no previous uh, rapport or, or, or uh, is not someone she knew. Uh, it's kind of hitting on her and she doesn't seem comfortable. But the police officer who saw them later on seems to see people who are familiar, perhaps even friendly. So th- that's the basic sketch outline, but you you seem like you really chopping at the bit to like tear apart some of the uh, methods going on. Well, with this. Uh, I th- well, I think you better give the update first before I sort of. Oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah. The, the, the one satisfying thing, perhaps in this entire episode of Unsolved Mysteries, is they caught the killer. The it turns out it was God. What was the name of the guy? It um, was. Um... Uh, most importantly, it was not the man they described as the, they were looking no, for. No, no, <laughs> I no. I think no. that's what's most Al- important. Alf- Alfredo Pri- Prieto. Yeah. Alfredo Prieta. That was his name. Prieta. Yeah. Um, was, so... was already in prison for some other murders. Yes. He's dead now. Good riddance. Yeah. He but, was yeah. convicted of killing a girl in California. So he was in the California um, prison system. He was executed in 2015. So they had a but, DNA match with him, uh, with uh, with Tina's murder. Yeah, and uh, as you point out, this is someone who looks nothing like any of the suspects. Right. So the so if you had been watching this unsolved mystery segment for the first time, you would have seen that they were on the look lookout for an African American man who was about six three, who was a bodybuilder type, and they show us a sketch. Um, who was convicted? <laughs> who was responsible for the murder was a <laughs> stocky um, Latino man with tattoos on his neck who was not any of the things that had been described. <laughs> so I think where law enforcement went a little wrong in investigating this is assuming that the assailant was known to the woman and this was only based on the condition of her clothing. Ah, yeah. Even though that there was blood on it, that... Um, at least the way it's presented in Unsolved Mysteries, because it looked like her clothing had not been forcibly torn or removed, um, that she must have known this person and things went a little too far. Um, however, her body, she had an apartment and her body was found in a schoolyard. <laughs> yeah, so unless so that doesn't uh, add she up. was a, unless she was an exhibitionist. Right. Um, that doesn't add up. Um, yeah. I know it's a little revisionist for me to go back to a show in 1989 and point out that uh, functionally there's no difference between date rape and rape, but um, I think that's where they went a little bit wrong, and that was based only on the condition of her clothing. I don't think they were using their best detective skills to really break down, and they got extremely lucky that the guy's DNA ended up being on file in California. Um, it wasn't through good police work that they found who did it. It was because they got lucky (laughs) and because somebody else either before or after Tina had to get very unlucky first. So, um, I, I, I think this was just really shoddy police work. Honestly, they weren't 
using their heads. They were also making assumptions based on witness testimony. Sure, Tina was at the grocery store and there was a guy, a young guy who came up to her. He was just probably trying to holler and being a little overly aggressive or maybe they knew each other. Uh, he is seen talking to her by her car in the parking lot and maybe she did let him in the car. Maybe she didn't. Or maybe while she was talking to this guy, the predator saw his chance, climbed into her unlocked car and was waiting in the back seat because that is my nightmare. So Uh, (laughs) I don't know that that's what happened, but somebody definitely saw two people in that car and they saw them like speeding around the neighborhood. So um, yeah, you know, that's the thing is like the depiction of the guy in the supermarket. uh, He like, in his interactions, he seems relatively harmless, if like a little annoying. Yeah. Because uh, he, you know, he, he comes up to her when she's at the deli counter, and like the one half of the married couple that w- that was a witness to this, you know, like he comes up and he looks at her and he says, "Salad, right? It's got to be salad if you're looking that good," which is a line. I, <laughs> uh, Crystal, is that a line? No, it's not that... a line. That's not a line, and that's not what that guy said to her. <laughs> IRL. That was some weird yeah. shit Unsolved Mysteries came up with. I don't like, I raised an eyebrow at that. I was like, what? It's a thing you say to people. Okay, so I, I guess I'll, 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 I won't try that. No, I but... wouldn't do that one. Okay. Um, but yeah, then like when the other half of the married couple sees her in the parking lot and mm-hmm. says that she's kind of, she's looking around as, you know, for like an excuse to like get away from this guy but she doesn't seem scared or anything she's mm-hmm. smiling da, da, da. so this is obviously yeah yeah you know they, they describe the situation and i'm like okay well then this is really just indistinguishable from countless interactions many women have right all the time with someone who's like hitting on them and they're not telling them that they don't they can't bring themselves to just say F off. Right. So they're just trying to like nod, smile. Yeah. They're just being polite. That's that's what we're all doing, by the way. (laughs) PSA to everyone. (laughs) We're just all being polite. Um, Yeah. So I, I mean, I don't, we can, we can't ever really know what happened, but I'm, I'm glad that the guy, I mean, justice was served. If it was only purely by accident, it sounds like, (laughs) Yes, thank goodness for whatever department actually uh, managed to uh, catch this guy. Yeah, well, I, uh, you know, I realized this episode, there wasn't a lot of room for us to, like, riff and talk about VHS stores and laser discs and... Yeah, the thing is, is, like, there's not really, there's not really much reenacted material going on here. No. I think that's, I mean, part of that is in our, our Hess segment, there was just a lot of archival World War II footage, yeah. uh, which I'm sure is much cheaper. Um, and then, yeah, and then with uh, uh, Patricia's story, that w- that just, that was really quickly done. Um, in this one, we have, we do have a few interesting reenactment moments. Uh, for me, is when the police show up at the grocery store because they're thinking that maybe it was a grocery store employee who. <laughs> oh yeah. For this, because the, li- the lineup of everyone that works there. 
<laughs> Everyone yeah, have, have people gathered in the front, and I love. I don't know about you, but I love the way that they dis- they 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 assigned. Uh, they 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 picked the various store employees for each detective to interview. It, it came off looking like the way that kids pick other kids for sport team sports mm. in school. It's like, okay, I guess I'll take you and you. Uh, come with me and uh it i found it rather amusing i also was fascinated by the interior of this grocery store i'm kind of like i'm interested to know what grocery store this was um does it even still look like this but then uh in terms of other reenactment bits the thing that really burned itself in my mind was we do have a depiction of her and perhaps the um, the uh, grocery store guy hitting on her, going up the steps behind the school, uh, and then disappearing into uh, uh, from sight. And where they're going into has like a big bright has a bright light shining into it, almost to the point where it blinds the camera. Yeah, it looked like they were. Um... Either running into a football stadium <laughs> during a game, or <laughs> that's getting, what I was thinking. Yeah, or getting abducted by aliens. Not sure which. <laughs> Crystal, those are the two things that came to my mind. Oh my god, we're twins again! We're twins. Ah. Um, we are not identical twins. <gasps> oh no! No. Well, I wouldn't be too sure, pal. So, uh, but then at the very end of this segment. The, they're talking with whatever police detective, and he was saying something like how he wants the the the, the guy who did it to know that uh, to quote, we will never stop looking for him. Mm-hmm. And he said that they have him saying this, and it's played over an image of the grocery store guy running back out from the uh, uh, back to, down the steps from the light. And he had in this. He's running, I think, in a slightly slow motion. And uh, it, I don't know. I, I kind of got a chuckle out of this. Like, I don't know about you. Well, it's it's isn't it like the last thing before they cut to the update where it was totally not him. <laughs> well, it it, <laughs> it is anyone that looked like him before they cut to the update where it totally wasn't him. <laughs> oh man, that's that's too much. It's too much. <clears throat> so this episode was kind of a bummer, I think. And uh... yeah, you know, it's funny. We we've had like a couple of ep- episodes recently where there really wasn't much going on. No, I need. Uh, I, we need some ghosts. There better be ghosts where, happening. Soon. Where are the ghosts? Where are, are the ghosts? Oh, oh. I want I want demonic possessions. I want satanic panic. I want uh, missing time. I want magic rocks. I want all of that. What is this? Uh, this is one half World War Two crackpot conspiracy, subtle, not out there book pitch, and then uh, two very quickly done segments involving real life stuff. I miss treasure segments too. I would like a treasure segment. 
Yeah, we haven't had one of those recently. Uh, I feel like there was probably a bunch in season one, but we just kind of like because recently blew past, past it. Them. Yeah. Um. So maybe all the treasure was found by season two. There's <laughs> <laughs> no more treasures. Um. But hey, you know what, Robbie? Um. I would like to ask our listeners if they if they have any treasure maps or like family uh, stories about where treasure can be found. Um, we'd like to hear about it. We won't take the treasure for ourselves, but we would just like something more entertaining than um, dead Nazi segments. So you can hit <laughs> us up. You can hit us up on our on the Twitters at uh, reenactedpod is our handle. Um, our email is reenactedpod at gmail dot com. Uh, we would appreciate it very much if you would write some thoughts on us on iTunes reviews. Uh, we'll take. We'd mm-hmm. like five stars, but honestly, we'd take four. Is it, is there any discernible difference between four or five stars? Is there like a practical thing that happens? Like if we do, if we don't get enough five stars, do we are we forbidden from selling on eBay? I think that's what happens. Yes, if we don't get enough five star reviews for our podcast, we we will get our accounts canceled on eBay. Please. Uh, please continue to engage with us. I, I love whenever people leave comments on Twitter. We've actually had some pretty amusing conversations, including the, including a, a, quite a bit of ongoing speculation as to why we skipped one half of season one. Well, <laughs> which I, we will never answer. We'll never. We can't talk about it. We can't talk about it legally speaking. We can't talk about it. Um. <laughs> I mean, I may have signed a paper. I may not have. Who can say? (laughs) That's my signature. Uh, Anyway, Robbie, should we wrap it up? Yes. Um, For every mystery, there is someone somewhere who knows the truth. Perhaps that someone is watching. Thank you.